Have you dreamed of bigger things for your life? Then you are in the right place. Each week, you will be given tips on how to change your inner dialogue, conquer your goals, and ways to step into a higher version of yourself. I'm your host, Lauren Kubat. I'm a motivational speaker who hosts personal development events. I'm a sought-after fitness instructor, a wife, and a mom of two young boys. I'm obsessed with all things personal development, and I believe anyone can achieve the life they want. Let the Become Your Vision podcast be the inspiration you need to step into greater things. Now let's go. Hi guys, welcome back to the show or welcome to the show. If this is your first time tuning in, thank you for choosing me to listen to. And if you are a regular listener, I appreciate you for tuning in again. You guys, we have a New York Times bestseller on the show today. And this is one that I've had on the radar for a really long time. I really wanted him on the show. And the stars just kind of aligned and it worked out perfectly. I met him in person recently at the Get Salty Retreat. Uh, That's a retreat that Jenny Fisher hosted. If you didn't listen to that episode, it was a couple episodes ago. I suggest you go back and listen just because it was fun. And uh, Dr. B, Dr. Will Bolshewitz, I think that's how you pronounce his name. I could totally be butchering his last name, but he goes by Dr. B. He was at the retreat and he had dinner with us. And on this episode today, we got to really dive into his story, which we get into about 20, 25 minutes into the show. And I just want to give you a background on who Dr. B is. So like I said, he is a New York Times bestseller. He is an award-winning gastroenterologist, internationally recognized gut health experts, And he has written Fiber Field, which we talk about today. And then he has a book coming out, a new book, The Fiber Field Cookbook. He sits on the Scientific Advisory Board on Zoe, has authored more than 20 articles published in peer-reviewed scientific journals, has given more than 40 presentations at national meetings, presented to Congress and the USDA, and has taught over 10 thousand students how to heal and optimize their gut health. He lives in Charleston, South Carolina with his wife and children. Most importantly, Dr. B is a normal person. And like I said, we get into a story about 20 minutes into the show, but he suffered with really low self-esteem. He talks about hating himself at one point. On the outside, he looked like he was achieving everything and looked like his life was, you know, on on this just high track of succeeding. And he was, but internally he was suffering. He was tired. He was struggling with weight gain. And he met his wife through this journey and she ordered a plate full of vegetables and that one decision that she made got him really thinking and I made a joke you know on the outside she looked like maybe like a weirdo for ordering a plate full of vegetables at this you know steakhouse or whatever but she was on to something and it was funny I went to Cracker Barrel with my mom a couple weeks ago and I did the same thing I wanted to 
I didn't want to leave Cracker Barrel feeling like a can of biscuits. And there's a time and a place where, you know, it feels good to order, you know, a plate full of pancakes. But that particular day, I was like not feeling it. I didn't want to be weighed down. So there was an option on the menu to order a plate full of vegetables. And I did. And I left satisfied. In this episode, we also talk about poop. It is not something we talk about on a normal basis, but we really should start talking about poop. And we talk about how your uh, poop should actually look. There's something called a Bristol chart, Bristol stool chart. We talk about that in this episode as well. And I also get a little bit personal and I share my struggles and I just kind of leave it all out there and how I was able to improve that area. So we talk about that. If you're squirmish, don't be. We all poop, okay? What I want you to remember in this episode is it is not about perfection. It is about improvement. I have been guilty of listening to podcasts before and reading books and just try to trying to, to like change my life and do a complete 180 right after reading an article or listening to a podcast or reading a book. And what happens is, is I'm good for a couple days. And what I mean by good is like I follow the advice a hundred percent for a couple days and then all of a sudden I'm like I don't feel like doing any of this and that is not the key to consistency the key is to make little improvements as you go so I want you to remember in this episode that it's not about being vegan we you know I still eat meat even though I'm not a big meat eater. I still, you know, like to go to a restaurant and order tacos every now and again and I love ice cream. I like the, you know, the the real ice cream. There are different alternatives that I found that I enjoy as well, but I'm not going to stop having ice cream and pizza and things like that. So this episode is not about that. It's about adding more plants and diversity to your diet. Some suggestions is If you are used to ordering on your grocery list every single week red apples, maybe this week try ordering green apples. If you're used to eating spinach all the time, maybe choose uh, arugula this week or kale. Switch it up so you're creating diversity in, in your gut. And we talk about creating diversity and those are just small little changes. Think about changing up your spices. Maybe you're used to only using garlic powder. Maybe try to add thyme or onion powder or switching it up slowly. And then over time, you know, you will see these little changes add up to bigger ones. Also, which I found kind of fun this week is I have, you know, everybody's phone has like a note pages. This week, I just started keeping track of all the spices I was eating, all the vegetables, all the fruits. And like by the end of the week, I was like, oh my gosh, I was over 30. Now, I am used to eating lots of fruits and vegetables. That might not be your lifestyle right now. Maybe you're used to eating one or two a week. Okay, this week, aim for three and four. Next week, maybe aim for five. Slowly start incorporating plants into your diet so you can stay consistent with it. 
Okay, you guys, I'm really excited about this episode. We are also doing a giveaway. So I didn't realize that you can order the Fiber Field cookbook. It is on pre-order. So whoever wins the giveaway, I'll give you the option of ordering Fiber Field, which is already out, or I will put you on the pre-order for the Fiber Field cookbook. I explained the giveaway in the episode and also the um, notes are in the show notes. Okay, you guys, enjoy. You guys, you are in for a treat today. We have Dr. B here. Thank you for being on the show. Warren, thanks for having me. I'm excited. I'm excited to uh, connect. It's kind of fun. We live in the same town. so I know. Did you have any podcasts recorded before we started today? To, like like literally today? Literally today. No, I, I did not. But I okay. am, I'm, I'm gearing up for the launch of my new book, The Fiber Fields Cookbook. And I basically, I love recording podcasts. I find them to be a lot of fun having conversations. You never know where people are going to take you. I have, I have people who catch me off guard with stuff sometimes, which is kind of fun. And um, so I, I, like there are days where I will record four podcasts, but today this is, I'm completely fresh, completely ready to go. Oh yes. Did you get like a workout in or have time to yourself this morning? Oh man. See, here, here I go. Here we go with like getting caught off guard with questions right off the bat. Um, I wish I could say that I, my life is not as much the perfect picture that I might, that might you, that, that a person might expect me to have um, because I'm a real human being mm-hmm. and I do my best. And I wish that I could wake up every morning and do yoga and meditate and like spend time outdoors grounded. And the reality is I got two kids. They're usually going crazy and I'm trying to get work done and simultaneously juggle being a dad. And so, I mean, it's just, it's real life and it's just, it's keeping it honest, keeping it real that um, we all, I think are struggling, including myself. We all are struggling with finding ways to make these things that we know are good for us work within our own life. Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally. And it's, it is very relatable. You know, you listen to these certain podcasts and they're like, you, you start your day with meditation and that's all great. And, um, but you know, we're all humans and with kids, they throw a monkey wrench into, you know, our plans and everything else. Like yesterday, my son had a fever. So, you know, I had a, you know, cancel teaching my classes and all that fun stuff. But, um, you know, it's, that's why I am so excited to talk to you today because you are real, you are a human, you know, that real life happens. You are a father and, you know, there's something to say when you are a parent, because you, you have to kind of learn to kind of go with the flow and, realize what works for your life and put it in, set up your life where it feels complimentary and not like such a chore. So I'm so interested in getting your advice on plants and fiber and how to feed our kids and all of that. So I want to approach this from someone that is new to gut health. Maybe somebody that is new to nutrition, doesn't know you, doesn't know about fiber and get very basic because 
Most of my listeners aren't doctors. I don't know if I have a listener that is a doctor, maybe. Um, and we're normal human beings. So I just really want to educate um, the listeners and get very, very basic if you're cool with that. I mean, I'm completely cool with that. Uh, and I honestly, these are my favorite people. I love talking to people who know nothing about gut health, but it's my favorite opportunity because um, this is a complete game changer mm-hmm. in terms of human health. And yeah. it's we're living through a very exciting time of scientific discovery that you wouldn't even know is happening unless you were tuning in. And it's changing the way that we think about the human body and health. And so it's, um, and many times when we talk about these things, I think people are like, if they've never heard them before, they're blown away by what they're hearing. So this is why I'm, I'm, I'm more than happy to go there. (laughs) Okay. Awesome. Yes. And I have your book right here and I, um, I read it a while ago and then I had to, you know, preparing for the interview. And it was so funny because we met at a, um, retreat, Jenny's retreat. And I was like, at first, before when I started the podcast, I I thought about you. We have we know mutual people, and I was like, I don't know. He's you know he's a doctor, and <laughs> you know, and I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. I was just I guess intimidated, and then I met you, and then you put things in a like layman's terms in the book. I mean, you have your scientific stuff here, but I mean, if you read the book, you fiber field, you will be like, you feel like, you know, you're talking to another human being and not just some scientist. (laughs) Well, I mean, the thing is from my perspective, I, so first of all, I, it's very weird for me to find myself in a position where people look at me as an author. That is not how I define myself. I see myself as a doctor, as a dad, as a husband. Um, so it's very, I, I find it to be bizarre what like this turn that my life has taken. And it, when I was given the opportunity to write a book, I, I wanted it to be a book that I personally would enjoy picking up and reading. Mm. And so I've read other health books and I find them boring. And they're speaking my language, right? I'm a doctor. Like I understand exactly what they're talking about. And I still am falling asleep when when I'm reading the book. Mm -hmm. So to me, you know, uh, writing Fiber Fueled, I didn't know what was going to happen. I had no clue. Honestly, I had no clue what was going to happen. It could have sold, you know, 100 copies with 90 of them being my mom buying them. (laughs) So it just so happened to be that like the book took off Mm. and has sold 200,000 copies. And I think part of the reason why is because of what you're saying is that people actually enjoy the read. It's, I think it's an efficient read where like, you don't feel like it's tedious. You can get through it pretty quick and it has a point and those points don't need to be super complicated. Now I did need to put enough in there so that my colleagues would say, yes, this is real. Like what, what he is describing is real. This is not just uh, fluffy, fluffy stuff. But, um, but at the same time, like I wanted the lay person to have a good time to have a couple of jokes in there. We're going to talk about poop. Like, so that's, and I think that's part of why this has all worked out pretty well. Yeah. Why would it, it doesn't matter your age. Like poop is like still funny. Like, I don't know why. 
I think, I mean, I think people are, I think people are intrigued by it and it's like an off limits uh, taboo topic that we're not supposed to go there. And yet I, here's where I'm at. Like, first of all, I'm a gastroenterologist. So what I do for a living is talk about poop and I've been doing that for years. So like any sort of barriers to having those conversations from my perspective are long gone. But, you know, the other thing too, is that I'm sitting here and I'm saying, look, if gut health matters, which I'm here to say, this is so important for human health. If you believe that gut health matters, and we're going to go into some of the details here, but if that's the case, why are we not paying attention to our bowel movements? Mm. Because that's the window. That's like the quite simple window. Look, you could check your pulse and your blood pressure and you can measure your weight and all those things are telling you different things about your heart or your cardiovascular system or your metabolism. But what about your gut? Mm. Where's, where's the vital sign for the gut? And the answer is we've been ignoring it, but it's, it's brown and it's a log <laughs> and it's in a toilet bowl. And so, um, I'm I'm happy you started with that. So why don't we explain what is gut health? Because this is, you know, terminology that I feel like is gaining popularity in the last several years. What is gut health and why is it important? So gut health is really referring to, uh, let me make a distinction between digestion. Digestion is the process of us unpacking the, the food that we consume. Um, you know, breaking it down, making it absorbable, making it something that basically is the force of life. Like this is our energy source. This is the nutrients that we need to sustain life. Digestion makes that possible. That's important. It's powerful. Let me separate that from gut health. When we talk about gut health, really what we're referring to is a um, community of living microorganisms Mm. that are as alive as you and I are. And they, the numbers of them are like ridiculous. So they cover us from the top of our head to the tip of our toes. They're on our skin. Believe it or not, they're on our eyeball, in our nose, in our mouth. But you'll actually find them most concentrated inside your digestive system, specifically inside your large intestine, which we also call the colon. And in that place, you can't see them. So it makes it seem like they're not there. Yet they are, they weigh more than your brain does. Interesting. And they, if, if you were to take a microscope and you would zoom in, you would see that there are 38 trillion microbes living in this location in your large intestine. Now, 38 trillion is just like, yo, Dr. B, that's a crazy number. What are you talking about, man? Totally. Let's, let's try to break this down. There's about, a hundred billion stars in our solar system. So we could take our entire solar system filled with stars and start placing them inside your colon. <laughs> and we would have to do this 380 times. We would need 380 galaxies full of stars that we place into your colon in order to recreate your personal gut microbiome. And this is you, Lauren, this is me, this is the person listening at home. So now these microbes, uh, mostly bacteria, we need to like kind of flip the script on bacteria. We've, we've vilified them and made it sound like they're bad and hurting us. Mm-hmm. And that comes from the fact that a hundred years ago, the top causes of death were bacteria. 
It was not heart disease. It was not cancer. It was infections. But these days, we actually have pretty decent control, like actually more than pretty decent. We have very good control over these bacterial infections using antibiotics. But we need to understand that in this community of microorganisms living inside of us, most of the bacteria that are there, they're actually our friends. They want to help us. They play a critical role in our health. And they, they combine with uh, other types of microbes like fungi or these things called archaea that are literally the first life on this planet. They've been on the planet for 4 billion years, which is very interesting because we've only had oxygen for two and a half billion years. So they were like basically hanging out on some scorched earth that didn't even have oxygen for mm -hmm. one and a half billion years. Mm -hmm. And uh, you'll find them like inside volcanoes and inside the bottom of the ocean and inside your colon. <laughs> Interesting. So we could have parasites. Not all parasites are bad. Some of them are good. Um, and we have viruses. So this entire sort of org organization of all these different types, we call that the microbiome. And the microbiome is there with a purpose. Uh, every single human for every single moment in human history has had a, has had a microbiome. There's never been one second in human history where humans did not exist, like that humans did not have a microbiome. So we rose and we fell together. We co-evolved together. When we think about human evolution, it's actually very short-sighted of us to think about it as, oh, we're just humans. No, we're not. We have 38, 39 trillion microbes as a part of our body, and they're a part of what, what's happening. And what happened, Lauren, is that if you look at this, I'm just speaking as a medical doctor here, that we clearly grew to trust these microbes mm. through evolution. And the reason why I say that is that if you look at what we allowed them to do, we allowed them to establish themselves as absolutely critical to our health. And without them, we can't be healthy humans. They help us to process and digest our food. So I mentioned digestion earlier. We lean on these microbes to do that properly. They actually uh, uh, are connected to our immune system. They're literally separated by a single layer of cells that is so thin that we can't even see it with the naked eye. And on one side is 70% of your immune system. And on the other side are the 38 trillion microbes. And they're talking to one another. You can't separate them. They're connected to our metabolism, things like high blood pressure, high cholesterol, diabetes. These are epidemic issues that we have. And I can show you how they're all connected back to these gut microbes. And those three things, high blood pressure, high cholesterol, and diabetes are all risk factors for heart disease, our number one killer. And it's no coincidence that if we look at the gut microbiome of people who have heart disease, you will discover that there's something off. Our microbes are connected to our hormones, to our mood, our brain health, even the way that we express our genetic code. And so when you think about everything that I just mentioned, it's like, this is pretty much everything that matters for human health. Yeah. It's, it's it like the one in control. They're, they're the ones in control in a lot of different ways, which is quite fascinating to, to ponder. Like, are we just zombies? walking around doing the will of our bacterial overlords. Um, we don't, we, that's not actually, 
please don't freak out people that's not actually what's happening but um but they do have a lot of a very very prominent important role in our health they're not the only thing that matters but i would argue with sincerity that i think the most important thing for human health is this part of us that's not even human these microbes Mm. so we're okay so let's talk about if if um the god is like you know, the control center and controls so many aspects. Now, the term that goes with that with gut health is leaky gut. So what what is leaky gut? What what does that mean? And is it true that most of us suffer with leaky gut? Well, leaky so leaky gut is um, something that is real. And but I also think much like many other topics that exist in 2022, you got to be careful what you read on the internet because um, it kind of spins out of control. And speaking from my position, most of what I see on the internet is nonsense when it comes to this <laughs> yeah. topic. So I just want to warn people, you got to be very careful because otherwise it can lead you astray and uh, you don't need that. It's just confusing. Mm. So leaky gut, um, the gut, let's first describe what the gut is supposed to be. The gut is supposed to be in balance and it is an ecosystem. An ecosystem is like, you know, the same thing as the Amazon rainforest or the Great Barrier Reef. It is an environment and that environment relies on all the different types of creatures that exist there to balance against one another. So like as a quick example, um, I don't like snakes. They scare me. I was... I was a three-year-old boy fishing with my dad and I wanted to go potty and a snake chased after me. It was not a poisonous snake, but it did chase after me. And so I used to have nightmares when I was a kid that snakes were in my bed. (laughs) All right. So I'm not a fan. That said, if we go to the Amazon rainforest and we remove all the snakes from the Amazon rainforest, we're going to have some serious issues. And we're actually going to make the Amazon rainforest way less healthy because this is going to have a negative effect on other creatures, other animals, other plants. There's a ripple effect that takes place if you disturb the balance because um, those snakes play a role and only snakes are designed to actually fulfill that role. And so you can't expect the other creatures to step up and pretend to be a snake. They're not snakes. It's not possible. So this is actually the way that it works within our body. Our gut is an ecosystem, just like the Amazon rainforest. Diversity is the measure that we use to look at health. When it's more diverse, then that means you have all these different things and they're all there in balance. When you lose diversity, that's the functional equivalent of withdrawing the snakes from the Amazon rainforest. And you're you're basically losing some of the key players that you need for things to work the way that they're supposed to. So... When there's that loss of diversity within the gut and simultaneously, the good guys are weak and the bad guys are growing stronger, then what starts to happen is that the barrier that surrounds the gut, uh, uh, it's called the epithelial layer. And it's kind of like the wall of a castle. Mm. And when this takes place, you're basically punching holes into the wall of this castle because the good guys are not able to maintain and protect it anymore. 
And these holes that you're punching are allowing stuff to get in that's not supposed to be there. So like if it's a castle, that would be in an invading army. But when it's your body, what it is, is that there's toxins that are sneaking out of the gut and entering into the bloodstream where they're frankly not supposed to be there. And this causes inflammation. And this causes confusion of the immune system. And this leads to downstream problems that basically connect the gut and what's happening in the gut to most of the major epidemic diseases that exist in our world. So leaky gut is an appropriate term. I actually prefer the word dysbiosis. That's the medical word that we would use, dysbiosis, Mm D-Y-S-B-I-O-S-I-S. And um, part of the reason I like that is that you don't see people like tossing around dysbiosis on the internet inappropriately, but like leaky gut is a whole different story. So, um, and just to kind of like frame this, let me run through. So I mentioned before that the gut and these microbes are connected to digestion, our metabolism, our immune system, our hormones, uh, our mood, our brain health. Okay. So taking that sort of framework, let's talk about what happens when a person has a disrupted unbalanced gut where there are less good guys, more bad guys. And there is now this leaky gut that's taking place, or we could call it dysbiosis. Dysbiosis has been associated in digest in a digestive capacity to most of the major digestive disorders. So like irritable bowel syndrome, acid reflux, Crohn's disease, ulcerative colitis, celiac disease. I could keep going. Mm. It's literally what I have treated for a living. And I am convinced that almost everyone who walks through the doors to come and see a person like me has injury to their gut microbiome. Wow. Talk about the metabolism. Obesity, 70% of America is now overweight. Obesity, diabetes, high blood pressure, high cholesterol, coronary artery disease, all connected to dysbiosis. Talking about our immune system, uh, Lauren, so you have my book, Fiber Fueled. Yep. In chapter one of my book, Fiber Fueled, I laid out a table talking about the autoimmune and allergic issues that are connected to dysbiosis. It's an extensive table. It takes up half of a page, even with a small font. And what happened there is that when I was writing that section of the book back in 2019, I went to do my homework and asked the question, what autoimmune and allergic diseases are connected to dysbiosis? And the answer that I discovered is that every single one where I could find a study of what's happening in the gut in a person that has an autoimmune or allergic disease. By the way, just to be clear, autoimmune, your immune system is attacking you. This could be lupus, rheumatoid arthritis, multiple sclerosis, Crohn's disease, ulcerative colitis, um, can keep going, but there's, these are some of the examples, psoriasis. All right. Every single one of these has been connected to damage to the gut microbiome. Allergic diseases like asthma, seasonal allergies, again, like the gut microbiome is disturbed. Um, Women's uh, hormones, actually women's and men's hormones, both sides, like prostate cancer is connected to the gut microbiome. In women, breast cancer, ovarian cancer, endometrial cancer, endometriosis, polycystic ovary syndrome. We could keep going. Uh, In terms of mood, major depression, anxiety, ADD connected to the gut. Neurologic diseases, Parkinson's disease, Alzheimer's disease, again, connected to the gut. We could, 
we could spend an entire episode with me just rattling off lists. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it gets mm-hmm. ridiculous. But the point is that the listener at home is sitting here right now going, he's pretty much like naming everything. You know, I mentioned cancer. I mentioned heart disease. I mentioned diabetes. Um, I should have mentioned stroke. I should have mentioned chronic kidney disease. This there's that's five of the top 10 causes of death right there. Mm. Mm. So crazy. So crazy. Cause as you're doing, I know so many people with autoimmune diseases and that's exactly why I wanted to do this podcast today. And, you know, my mom is working on her health journey. She's like, can I have the book after you're done? I'm like, absolutely. So I want to clear up so much confusion for the listeners, for myself and become more educated on, on our gut. So in your book, you talk about how fiber, it's called Fiber Field, the book, <laughs> is optimal for gut health. So can you talk about what fiber is, what it does for our body? Does it help with biodiversity? Um, let's start there. Yeah, totally. Uh, first of all, I want to say hi to your mom. Thanks, mom. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for being here. Uh, hope you enjoy the book. Let me know, like tag me on social media if you read it. Um, yeah. All right. So Fiber is something that you will find in all plants, fruits, vegetables, whole grains, seeds, nuts, legumes, and actually mushrooms have fiber too, which is kind of cool because mushrooms are not plants, they're fungi. Um, So that's kind of the one exception, but you won't find any fiber in animal products. You won't find that fiber in in meat, um, dairy, eggs. I mean, I can tell you what the amount of fiber is in those three things. It's zero. Interesting. So, I did not know that. And I feel kind of stupid saying that, but I didn't know that. And we were going to, I was going to ask you about plants and that, okay. So the reason, or I mean, animals, animal products. So the reason why maybe animal products aren't the best is they don't carry, they don't have fiber. Well, that's part of it. I mean, there's, these are complex, these are complex uh, things like foods are not simple. There's um, multiple layers to each individual food. And it's unfair, frankly, to just like categorically say good versus bad in a lot of ways. Um, But, you know, because at the end of the day, it's about balance and it's about um, finding what works for you. But that being said, like, here's, here's where my concern comes from. So you have to understand that I, I'm coming from the perspective of being a gastroenterologist and I'm seeing these people who are walking through the doors with, with gut health related issues routinely. Right. And I know that the gut microbiome is a problem and I'm going to explain in about two seconds why fiber is so important. But first of all, there's a major fiber deficiency that exists, not just in the United States, but in the Western world. If I walk out into our community, we live in Charleston, South Carolina, and I find a random sample of 20 people, 19 out of 20 people are not even getting the minimal recommended amount of fiber. That amount is 19 is 25 grams for women and 38 grams for men per day. All right. The average fiber consumption for a woman is like 16 grams. The average fiber consumption for a man is like 18 or 19 grams. We are way low. And so the bottom line is that this is like, to me, our most pressing health need. Um, And here's why. We have been sold a flawed story 
a very boring story about fiber and it's nonsense. We need to bring it up to speed in 2022. Fiber is not boring. Fiber is not the orange drink that your grandma would stir so that she could poop. I mean, it is, but man, it's so much cooler than that. So fiber is not just in the mouth and then coming out the other end. It's food for your microbes. What's interesting is as big and strong and powerful as we are as humans, we think of ourselves as with such, you know, a tremendous amount of ego. Like we're, we are the, we are the apex predators. We lack the ability to process and digest fiber. We just don't have the enzymes to do that. But guess who does? Our microbes. In fact, they have them in spades, uh, a single cellular bacteria could have hundreds of the enzymes that are necessary to process and digest fiber. The estimates are that if you look at the whole microbiome, literally there are 60,000 unique enzymes that our microbes are providing for the purpose of processing and digesting things like fiber. So fiber goes in the mouth and it passes through the small intestine, which is 15 to 20 feet long and it's unchanged, and it arrives into the colon where the 38 trillion are hanging out, and they get into a feeding frenzy, and they consume it. This is their food, their preferred food. They grow stronger. The good guy bacteria are actually now more powerfully represented as a result of this. Um, but the fiber doesn't just like disappear, and it's not just like launching out the other end, what happens is actually that the fiber undergoes a transformation that is almost magical where these like magician bacteria are whipping their Harry Potter wand and all of a sudden fiber stops being fiber and it becomes what I would describe as the most anti-inflammatory thing that I have ever come across in my 20 years of study in medicine it becomes short-chain fatty acids, butyrate, acetate, propionate. And these short-chain fatty acids have healing effects throughout the entire body, right there in the gut. They enhance the good guy bacteria. They directly suppress the bad guys like E. coli, Salmonella, Shigella, suppressed by short-chain fatty acids. And they repair the leaky gut. So like people want to know, how do we fix dysbiosis? Boom, I just told you. Mm. Colon cancer, our number two cause of cancer death in America. I've diagnosed this in many people as young as literally 26 years old. We, this is our second most deadly cancer. We are not getting enough fiber. Fiber produces short-chain fatty acids, and short-chain fatty acids actually suppress colon cancer through multiple different mechanisms. They connect to our immune system. They regulate our metabolism. They balance our hormones. They travel all the way up to the brain. They cross the blood-brain barrier. They fix the blood-brain barrier. They have healing effects throughout the entire body. And this is why when uh, I was writing my book, I came across this one study that is my favorite fiber study of all time. So let me, please like bear with me, people. Don't um, discontinue listening to the show, but I'm going to nerd out for a moment here. Do your thing. <laughs> <laughs> so... In this study, uh, Dr. Andrew Reynolds from New Zealand, 
he basically pulled together all of the fiber research into one place. And in science, there is what we describe as the hierarchy of science, where the highest quality studies that exist are what are called systematic reviews and meta-analyses, where a person like Professor Andrew Reynolds is pulling together all of the available information so that we can get it from one source. And that's what we're talking about here. This is the highest quality that exists. He analyzed over 130 million person years of data, which just to put this into perspective, the entirety of human history is only 3 million years. So this is like he's looking at the entirety of human history 40 times. And when he performed his analysis, here's what they found when you consume more dietary fiber. You decrease your risk of having a heart attack. You decrease your risk of dying of heart disease, our number one killer. You reduce your risk of having specific types of cancer, colon cancer, breast cancer, esophageal cancer. You decrease our risk, your risk of dying of cancer. That's our number two killer. You lower the likelihood of having a stroke, our number five killer. You lower the likelihood of being diagnosed with diabetes, our number seven killer. You lower the likelihood of diagnosed being diagnosed with chronic kidney disease, I believe that's our number nine or number 10. In randomized controlled trials, people, when they consume more fiber, they lose weight, they lower their blood pressure, they lower their cholesterol. Those are risk factors for heart disease, of course. So I sit here and I say, 19 out of 20 people in the US are not even getting the minimal recommended amount of fiber. Fiber is food for our gut microbes. It produces short chain fatty acids. And look at the healing effects that can take place where we could be addressing our epidemic diseases. Why is this not being shouted on the nightly news every single night? Why is our government not providing subsidies to make this more approachable, less expensive, more interesting to the average consumer? Why have these things not happened? It seems so obvious. Do you, Maybe you have can answer like, that for me more. <laughs> no, I was going to ask you, I'm like, hey, is, is there not, um, what are the gains from promoting fiber and not something else in terms of what are the gains? Well, that's what I'm saying. Is there, as far as like doctors, they're not going to make money from pushing fiber. Are they? Well, how sad is that? Yeah. So, I mean, that's true. They're not going to make money by pushing fiber. And we, we can't expect our healthcare system to change without financially incentivizing the, the, the stakeholders. I mean, that's just the reality. We can't expect people to um, make personal self-sacrifice in the greater interest of society because frankly, people just don't do that. Mm -hmm. Very rarely do we see that. When we do, we call them a saint. Mm -hmm. But um, no, I mean, it's how sad is that, that we have something that's so critically important and it's not even, frankly, it's more, it's not even being taught in medical school. Wow. So how did you discover this? Uh, the way that I discovered this, okay, this is kind of cool. I'm really excited about this one. This, <laughs> this is the latest, this is the latest in the podcast that I think I've ever told my personal story. Cause usually people right off the bat, right? So tell us your story, right? You know, it's cool how we um, took, took this path to get here where we are literally this moment. So if you went back 10 years ago, I was in my early thirties and I had serious health issues and I was trying to figure out how to fix them. And the problem is that, so at that time I was in my uh, 
fellowship being trained to be a gastroenterologist. So I was, I'd finished medical school many years earlier. I actually was board certified as an internal medicine doctor. And I was in my, the last legs of my training. It took me 16 years from the time I was 18 years old to complete all my training. So I'm in my early thirties and, um, I'm 50 pounds overweight, high blood pressure, high cholesterol, high anxiety. Professionally speaking, if you knew me, like on a superficial level, you'd be like, that dude is smashing it. Like he's winning all the awards. He keeps getting promotions. Great things were happening, happening in my personal life. And I was miserable. Mm. And I hated myself. And my self-esteem was basically non-existent. And I just wanted to curl up on the couch under a blanket and watch trashy TV. Mm. Which, I mean, there's nothing wrong with trashy TV. But. <laughs> <laughs> well, housewives, I mean. <laughs> so, and the issue is that I'd gone through this great training. I mean, I'm super proud of my education. I'm super grateful to the mentors who invested their energy and time into teaching me. But like I trained at Georgetown and Northwestern and the University of North Carolina. And there I sit and the pills and the procedures in my doctor's kit are not going to fix these issues. So how can I fix these problems that like, I see that they're there. I'm not in denial. I see the guy with the gut sagging over the belt in the mirror. And that is not the person that I remember who was an athlete in high school. And so I tried exercising my way out of it. And I was like a typical early 30s type A guy. Like I'm going to work out for 45 minutes a day. And then after I'm done working out, I'm going to either jump on the treadmill and run between a five and a 10K, or I'm going to hop in the pool if it's the summertime and I'm going to do 50 to 100 laps. That's what I was doing. I was doing that probably six days a week. and I could um, grow stronger and faster and swim further. And I could not lose the gut. These health issues were not getting better. So my life changed when I met the person who, believe it or not, is my wife, like literally today. Mm -hmm. But at this time, we're just going on a first date. And I I sit there and look across the table And here's this person ordering, like, you know, we're at a place in North Carolina where like I was getting the pork chop and she orders up five different sides of plants and just discreetly asks the waiter, can you put these all on one plate for me and like arrange it? And I'm just like scratching my head. Like, who is this person? (laughs) This is bizarre. (laughs) What are you doing? Yeah. And, but what I did see is that she was very satisfied with her food. She cleaned her plate. She appeared to be in complete control of her health. She looked amazing. And we got done with this date and I'm hungover and that's not from alcohol. Mm. And I need a break. And this woman's ready to keep going for round two. And you go home and you go, maybe there's something to that. 
And it forced me to take a look in the mirror at my own diet and discover that these foods that frankly, I loved, I'm not going to lie. I love the Philly cheesesteak. Mm -hmm. These foods that I loved that I had been raised on that were like a part of our family. Maybe that's the problem. Maybe that's what was holding me back. And so I started making small changes. This was not a radical like cannonball into the pool. This was like, I'm dipping a toe and then a foot. And um, started making small changes, moving towards more plants in my diet and started seeing like very, very quick, rapid results where my energy levels are going up. My hair is getting thicker. My skin is clearing up. My self-esteem is starting to come, come back. And so I kept doubling and tripling and quadrupling down on this because it just made too much sense. I'm feeling great. And it got to a point where I'm just like, why haven't I heard anything about this? And I turned to the medical literature because that's my source of truth. And I uh, was expecting to find nothing. And I was shocked to discover that there were literally thousands of studies that had never been referenced or discussed in my medical training for 16 years. So I became uh, voracious about studying and learning more. And I literally would work during the day, super hard as a doctor, and then go home at night and keep reading and trying to learn. And then I would bring the ideas that I learned into my clinic the following day. And I was seeing like miraculous things taking place, things that, that were not supposed to be happening. People were having their symptoms like gas, bloating, abdominal pain, diarrhea, constipation from irritable bowel syndrome. Those symptoms were going away. And people with ulcerative colitis were going into remission. And people who had uh, dependence on drugs for their acid reflux were throwing the drugs in the trash. And I'm seeing these things happening, Lauren, and I'm just like, people deserve to hear this. It is not enough for me to hide in this clinic and treat one-on-one. -on -one. And so in 2016, I started a social media account, the Gut Health MD. It felt really weird. I don't really like social media, uh, but I did it because that was my way of trying to get the message out. And then in 2018, I did a podcast and it went viral. Which podcast was that? That was uh, my friend, Simon Hill from Plant Proof. Okay. It's not called The Proof. Yep. It's not called The Proof, uh, but it was Plant Proof and it was episode 17. It was one of his first episodes. And I mean, people just freaked out. Like friends were telling friends and then repeat. Mm. And um, so when this happened, I was like, yo, <laughs> I'm on to something here. People are wigging out. Was that your first big break? Would you say? No, um, you know, I don't want to bore the listeners with too much of my individual story. There were things I'm probably, I've already shared too much of my individual story, but there, there were things that did happen along the way where like, you know, quick example, uh, I gave a talk. So for people who are here in Charleston, I gave a talk at one of the local hospitals called Roper Mount Pleasant. And that was, so I started my social media account in the summer of 2016. And in January of 2017, I gave this talk and the most people they had ever had for one of their talks, literally the highest number they had ever had was 35 people. And most of the time they would get like, uh, you know, something anemic, like 10 or 12 people showing up to these talks. It was like a Tuesday at noontime. And 
we had over a hundred people show up. We didn't have enough chairs. Wow. Everyone packed the room and had to stand. And I delivered a talk that ultimately basically became Fiberfield. I mean, like if you saw this talk, you would see the similarities. And after the talk was over, there were people who waited in line, no exaggeration, for 90 minutes to ask me a question. So when that happened, I knew that there was something going on. And these moments were really important because let me be totally honest, the way that I feel about social media is to such a degree that if there was not this encouragement taking place, I would have just stopped. Because I mean, honestly, for years, no one really cared what I was saying on social media anyway. Like, honestly, no one cared. Well, I think so, that's so interesting to start, you know, to talk about. And even though it's your individual story, it almost it's like gives us permission to keep going because, you know, if you're listening to this, it's because you want to improve yourself and you have bigger dreams for yourself. You want to educate yourself. And I think it's really important for people to realize your story because when you let's, you know, 2016, you started this social media account. How many followers did you have? Um, let's see here. I, okay. So by January, when I gave this talk, I probably had 250 or 300 followers. Wow. So people didn't really care, honestly. Um, yeah. And then and now you're over what? 300,000. Yeah. I'm at 370 right now. 370,000. That's insane. But for the longest time you were like, uninteresting, you know, to a lot of people, most people, right? And nobody was listening to you. And it took time before people were like, oh, this guy really is intelligent. And this guy really has something to say. Correct? You got to build momentum. Yeah. Yeah. For those who are interested, you have to build momentum. It takes time to do that. Um, I certainly didn't have the foresight to understand this. I was just kind of doing. Um, I was compelled to do this. I felt like I had to do this. Which honestly, I think when you put your passion into your work, which I do, when you put your passion in your work, that's then you're doing exactly what you're supposed to be doing, no matter what. Mm. Um, so yeah, so people didn't really care, and you know, and then I had a break uh, a couple months later in May, no June, June of 2017, where the Post and Courier I actually cold called them. So the Post and Courier is the local like Pulitzer Prize winning newspaper in Charleston. And I cold called them and I said, hey guys, I'm giving a talk about fermentation and I want to invite you to come and hear what I have to say. And to my surprise, they came. And then they did an entire profile piece about me. And it was Father's Day, June of 2017 and I'm in the pool with my kids and my phone starts freaking out. And it's because the Post and Courier published this article. And all of a sudden, like I went from 700 followers to like overnight 1,200 followers, which was a huge deal for me. Yeah, that is huge. Huge. Uh, let's go back to, I, I'm intrigued by your personal story, but I want to go back to, um, okay, so fiber too. Um Obviously, that's a whole talk, but okay. So, 25 grams of fiber is the daily recommendation for women. What types of foods have the most amount of fiber? All right. 
I'm so glad that you're taking the conversation here because actually this creates the most actionable advice that we can create for the whole episode. So we're about to get into like, if I can only give you one takeaway, here it comes. What we have discovered, let me, let me let's revisit fiber and, and um, I want to explain a little bit more about it. Okay. Fiber is not just grams of fiber. Fiber is a broad, unique category within nutrition. It's like protein. The protein in a bean is not the same as the protein in a fish, right? These are categories. And so that's the way the fiber is. And every plant has fiber, every single one. And every plant will have its own unique types of fiber. These microbes living inside of us, this is their food. They love it. But not every microbe eats the same food. They are like, we are dismissing them as being unintelligent or basically worthless by pretending that a microbe is just a microbe, a bacteria is just a bacteria. That's not true. They are unique, just like you and I. They have personalities. They have different skill sets. Certain ones do certain things. And they have different dietary preferences. So it's not about just getting your fiber. Instead, it's about recognizing that specific plants feed specific microbes. And we mentioned earlier that the key to a healthy microbiome is a biodiverse microbiome. You want as many different varieties of these microbes as possible. So how do we accomplish that? Well, if we eat a wide variety of plants, then we are feeding a wide variety of microbes. Diversity on the plate translates into diversity in the microbiome. And this is actually far beyond like, hey, Dr. B's got an idea. This goes way beyond that. This is completely scientifically validated. In the largest study to date, to allow us to make connections between the health of our microbiome and our diet and lifestyle choices, called the American Gut Project. It actually is uh, from across the globe. It's not just Americans. And it's more than 11,000 people. And when they performed their analysis, they discovered that there was a clear-cut number one most powerful predictor of gut health. And that was the diversity of plants in your diet. In that study specifically, the healthiest people were the people who were consuming at least 30 varieties of plants per week. So what I say, Lauren, is I realize that I have like ultimately uh, misled people a little bit by talking about the grams of fiber and how we're all deficient. We are deficient. We do need to address this. But if you insert this one simple rule and make it foundational in terms of how you approach your nutrition, you will transform your life and enhance your health. And that is that you should eat as many varieties of plants as possible. Stop counting calories, start counting plants. Mm. Stop worrying about macros, start counting plants. Stop, I don't mean to offend anyone, by the way, Lauren, don't be mad at me. Stop, stop, <laughs> stop counting. Great. Well, you know, you're hanging out with Jenny and I have to imagine there's some macro conversations that exist in that group. But. <laughs> you would be surprised. Not really. No, I don't think we've ever talked about I don't macronutrients and counting them. It's because you guys are informed. You guys are informed and smart. So stop counting grams of fiber. Start counting plants. If you actually make this a priority, it's not 30 plants in a day. 
And 30 plants in a week may sound very overwhelming, but I'll give you recipes for free if you want that. Like literally it could be Monday morning and you got 10 plants in a smoothie jar Mm. and you're already a third of the way there. And then it becomes actually very easy, but this is simple stuff. This is like, there's tomato sauce on, on the stove. Don't just leave it as tomato sauce. Here's the challenge. What can we throw in there? Right. And we could all come up with stuff. I could ask you, Lauren, what would you put in there? I mean, we all are thinking about garlic and onions and mushrooms and zucchini and throw some spinach in there and some basil and keep going. Mm. But all of a sudden, this sauce that was just tomato sauce suddenly turned into a vehicle to improve your health. And simultaneously, it tastes great. Mm -hmm. Why would you not? Yeah. For sure. So when I'm thinking about this, 30 different plants a week, I, if I'm sure the listener is like me and I'm interested to get your perspective is like, I have a grocery list and I usually, you know, I, I try, I'm trying, I'm better now. I feel like, but I try to switch it up, but it's like, we fall back into the same things. I eat the same nuts. I eat almonds, cashews, pistachios, you know, those types of things. And then I do fruit. Like I love apples and then I'll do bananas and then a frozen blueberries. But then I feel like I continue to buy the same stuff because I like those things. And, um, somebody on the retreat actually mentioned about her making a smoothie. And she said, um, what did she say? Like dragon fruit or something like that. I'm like, Oh, I never, you know, I wouldn't think to add that to my grocery list. So how do you increase variety when, you know, you mentioned earlier, like kids and family and a wife and, um, all the things, how do you maintain that variety in, you know, your very busy lifestyle? I think quite simply, when you make this a foundational idea for your nutrition, it's going to naturally happen. Don't put pressure on yourself to achieve a certain number every single meal. It's not about that. You could have a meal that has one plant. It's all good. It's all good. It's what it is, is it's about the balance that exists within your diet in a given week, in a given month. And it's going to start to accumulate when you, when you make this a philosophy. And if you're in the, if you're in the supermarket and you hear my voice, diversity of plants, suddenly you're going to like go to that section where, oh man, I haven't tried that in a while. Let me just grab that and we'll figure it out. Right. Or you know what? I always do spinach. Let me switch it up. Try something else this time. Right. So when you hear that, it becomes a quite simple transition. It's not about pressure. It's not about being perfect. It's quite simply about making these choices and doing it with consistency. And when you do that, you're going to see amazing results. When you are in the kitchen and you're cooking, it could be a pot of chili. Why would you only throw one bean in there? Mm. Why not throw five? You got that smoothie that you're getting ready to hit the blender button. Yo, hold up. Do you got the chia? Do you got the flax? Do you got the hemp seeds? I just bought you three extra plant points right there. Mm. They're so good for you. Why would you not put them in there? Mm -hmm. Right? So I think it's just these simple things where you open up your mind to this. It's important to understand the food system is not going to do this for us. 75% of the plant-based calories that exist. When I say plant-based, I'm saying junk food. 75% of the plant-based calories that exist come from three plants, wheat, corn, and soy. If the food industry has their, their way, you are shelling over dollars to them 
for food that is cheap and inexpensive and easy for them to create. But it is not good for your health. Instead, let's shift our focus. And this is not, by the way, just just vegetables and just fruit. This does include fruit and vegetables, but it also includes whole grains and legumes and seeds and nuts. And even though they're not plants, I count mushrooms. You get points for that too. So the point being, like think diversity of plants when you have these opportunities and it's just going to fall into place and then you can feel good about it. Mm. I think one of the things too, you mentioned this earlier, like garlic and stuff, but like spices, you could, you know, put five different spices in, you know, in your chili or whatever and get points, you know, plant points for that as well. Why not? Why yeah. wouldn't you Right? Yeah. crank it up? So if you're like, I'm, I'm not the one to eat a bowl of spinach. Okay. We'll put the thyme in there and put garlic and onion powder and all that, all the good stuff. Um, Okay. I want to talk about poop because we mentioned this earlier and is there, um, a way where you can look at your stool and know like, Hey, I'm not getting enough fiber or something is going on. There is something called the Bristol stool chart. Um, is there a recommendation of the kind of poop we should be having? Well, um, poop is a, uh, nuanced conversation more so than people perhaps want it to be. Because what I mean is this, like there's different aspects to a healthy bowel movement that I'm thinking about as a gastroenterologist. I mean, this is a dude who's just like obsessing over this stuff all day, every day. Right. So, um, frequency matters. All right. If you go once every seven days, you are constipated. There is no doubt. But there are also plenty of people who are constipated. They don't realize it. They're pooping every day. They might be pooping five times a day. They don't even know that constipation is actually the reason why they're so super bloated. And they think it's SIBO. And then they take antibiotics and they're not better. And they're actually making their gut health worse. The whole time, the problem was constipation. How do you identify those people if we, like, for example, just look at frequency? Part of it is you can look at the Bristol stool scale. So the Bristol stool scale, um, if you're listening to this, I'd encourage you to pull out your smartphone and like pull up an image of this because it's a little bit hard for me to walk through, but basically there are seven unique types of poop and you can identify them based upon the way that they look. So like, for example, a type one bowel movement is consistent with constipation and it's basically like hard balls of stool. And on the flip side, a type seven is the opposite end of the spectrum. And that's just liquid. Like there's no form or solid. It's not solid at all. It's just liquid water. All right. And that's diarrhea. Our glorious heaven sent the way it should be bowel movement is a Bristol four. When it's a Bristol four, I mean, like doves are flying in slow motion. <laughs> Fireworks are going off over your house. And you are emerging from this restroom with such swag. And everyone's kind of wondering like, yo, what's up with this person today? Why they got that weird grin? <laughs> and it's because you just had a fantastic Bristol four that you dropped off at the toilet. All right. Um, so Bristol stool scale, all seriousness can be a part of understanding this. All right. And if you have like Bristol one, Bristol two bowel movements, these are constipation type bowel movements. 
and it would give you a clue. Maybe this is constipation, but there's more. One of the most important questions that I've come across as a gastroenterologist is asking, do you feel like you're completely empty? Mm. Because there's a lot of people who they poop every day, they poop a couple times a day, but they don't actually feel like they completely empty when they go. And they are most likely constipated. They just don't realize it because you would never think if you're pooping five times a day that you're constipated, but you're not completely emptying. And constipation, just to be clear, since I'm talking about it a lot, constipation is not defined by frequency. Constipation, my definition as a GI doctor, is the inadequate evacuation of your bowels that ultimately cause you to have symptoms that you don't want. So inadequacy could be the frequency, but it could also be the amount that you're emptying. Mm. And if you're not adequately emptying, then you're backing up. Interesting. Interesting. I've looked at this chart before because I'm like, this cannot be normal. Um, <laughs> you know, and Tell I, us more. I want to be like gross. Okay. Because, okay. Well, it's going up to me. So, <laughs> um, so I consider myself a healthy person. I do love plants. I don't really eat a lot of, of meat. If I do, it's I try to do quality, like a butcher box or something like that. I just don't really crave that meat. I don't, not into counting protein or anything like that, which I think it's really, I know we've been on here for a little while, but I think we should talk about protein. But um, I do feel better when I am eating plants. But for, I would say... I don't know, a solid year. I was just like, oh, nothing's wrong. Where it was like mushy when I went. There was no, there was no four, okay, um, to it. I felt like I was emptying, but I was like, this, this can't be normal. And now I'm looking back because I realize, especially actually since the retreat, I've been very intentional about trying to increase the diversity in my gut. So I've, I've been um, eating moosely almost every, every day. That's just been my jam lately or like oatmeal and it, and then I've added chia seeds and it made such a freaking difference. And there's, right. it's like a four now. So I think amen to that, amen so to that. But I think before is like the grains, like I was trying to stay away from the grains, but I think that's what helped me. Well, people need to understand that. Uh, so a couple things, first of all, you're naturally guiding us into a conversation about my new book, which is called the fiber field cookbook. Perfect. Where the very first step towards healing the gut, because in the, in the book, I actually give people a step-by-step -step process to follow to allow you to heal your gut and overcome, for example, food intolerances. The very first step before we even touch on food is what is the root of the problem? We have to understand that because you can't properly treat something if you don't know what you're treating. So as I sit here and I hear the story, the first thing that comes to mind for me as a GI doctor is when you were having these issues, like if you just gave me that information, let's pretend you come into the clinic, you see me, and you don't tell me that you're, taking, you're, you're consuming the moose. And you're, <laughs> <laughs> you're instead uh, just having these symptoms and you're trying to figure out why you're having these symptoms. Well, I would first want to do testing 
to understand why you're having these loose stools, right? Chronic loose stools need to be explained mm. because there's something going on there. Now, it's entirely possible. Like in your case, it proved to be that perhaps the microbiome was not feeling adequately supported and making a dietary modification to fill a hole within your diet actually got you to a place where you were completely better and, and everything went away. Okay. I celebrate this. I think it's great. The only problem with it is that like hindsight is 2020 right now. We now understand this a lot better, but in the moment we didn't understand what was actually going on. We were just trying stuff. Mm -hmm. Right. So anyway, I'm glad it worked out. Um, that's part of what the new book, the fiber field cookbook is all about is empowering people with the right information so that yes, it is nutrition, but it's not just nutrition. Like if you saw me in the clinic, I wouldn't even talk to you about nutrition at that first visit. We would focus on, well, like, let's figure out what these symptoms are. What do they mean? What do we need to do to get on top of this and really have a better understanding of this? All right. The second thing is just to kind of zoom in on the nutrition itself. Whole grains, whole grains are microbiome foods. So are legumes. And it troubles me within the health and fitness space that like certain dietary patterns, specifically paleo are vilifying these foods. It makes no sense to me. Mm. Whole grains and legumes are an extremely rich source of fiber, of resistant starches and polyphenols. Now, we didn't touch on resistant starches, but basically think of them as a unique form of fiber. And we didn't touch on polyphenols, but basically polyphenols are the um, chemicals found in plants, only in plants, that give the plants their colors and that have healing benefits, and they've proven to be good for the microbiome. There are three types of prebiotics. Prebiotics mean food for the microbiome. One is fiber, but the other two are resistant starches and polyphenols. You'll find all three in whole grains and in legumes. So adding the moose back into your diet, I think was a great choice because I think you were able to support and nurture your gut microbiome. That sounds like it was hungry. Yeah. It, was hungry. it was hungry for some fiber. Cause I was doing like smoothies and, you know, adding all the, the fruits and the veggies and stuff to that. But I was, yeah. Um, eliminating grains from, um, my diet. Okay. So I want to, I could talk to you, you know, for another hour or so, but I know you are a busy man. I do want to do a couple more questions and from the get salty retreat, some of the girls, um, sent me some questions. So I want to, um, answer, have you answer those questions. If you have a few more minutes. Shout out to the Get Salty Retreat and Jenny Fisher Fitness. If you're not following Jenny Fisher Fitness, you should definitely do that. Totally. Totally. Those girls are awesome. <laughs> Amazing, supportive, encouraging. Awesome. It was a great retreat. And some of these women got your book and sent me questions. So this one in particular says for an anti-inflammatory diet due to an autoimmune disease, what gut healthy foods would you recommend? You touched on that a bit. Yeah. Well, I think we get back to let's. We don't need to make this too complicated. Right. We don't need laundry lists of eat this, not that. We need to be smart about like recognizing that I, I, my main concern in autoimmune diseases are the ultra processed foods. 
because there's stuff in those ultra processed foods that I just don't know. We don't have the research to say what it's doing to the gut microbiome. But what we do know is that the gut microbiome is connected to your immune system and you can't unplug them. They're completely intertwined. So I worry about the ultra processed foods. We really need to avoid those and replace them with the plants, the fruits, the vegetables, whole grains, seeds, nuts, legumes, and then I'm adding the mushrooms. Um, and when it comes to animal products, you know, you just have to take a look in the mirror and do an intake on that. The average American right now is consuming about 220 pounds of meat per year, which is actually substantially more than their own body weight. And meat consumption is not going down, it's going up, but there is no fiber in meat. And there are some things about meat that are concerning. Uh, we don't need to dig into that in great detail, but there are some things. And I think the important point from my perspective is this, everything you've heard so far, people may be interpreting this as Dr. B is here to talk about a vegan diet. And I am not. I am here to say that there are many forms of a healthy diet. There are many paths that can lead you to health. But what I am seeing consistently in the medical literature is that all of those forms of a healthful diet are predominantly plant-based. So you don't need to be absolute. You don't need to make it zero meat. This is up to you. These are personal choices. It has worked well for me. It may or may not work well for you. But what has worked for me is not what I'm here to deliver to you. I'm here to deliver to you empowering information that is the way that your body works and you apply it to your own life in a way that works for you and brings you great joy. And you find what works and then you stick with that. But I'm of the belief that that is a predominantly plant-based diet. So mm. that's where I would go with that. Mm. Great. Um, let's get back to that, that protein. So in fruits and vegetables. Yeah. There, there are some that, you know, have, have protein and the nuts and things like that, but it's not like the same amount of protein that you're going to get in, let's say, um, a steak or bacon or so do you, what do you, what's your stance on more plant dominated, like the proteins, like protein powder, cause you didn't get a plant-based based protein, but what are some foods that will have a, li a little bit more protein. And do you think that protein is put on a pedestal? I don't think protein is to be dismissed. I think that sometimes in the plant-based space, you know, in my, in my world, people will say, Oh, why are we talking about protein? We should be talking about fiber. Well, that is true. We should be talking about fiber. Um, and we do tend to like really fixate on fire on protein, even though if you go and you measure protein consumption in the United States, most people are getting more than double what they actually need. And 70%, uh, I'm sorry, the average vegan is getting 70% more protein than they actually need. People that have nutritional deficiencies on a plant-based diet, it's not taking place in the United States. It's taking place in Africa where people don't have access to variety. Mm. And the key here, what I really want people to like, I want to empower them with this understanding is that first of all, every single plant has protein. In fact, every single plant has every single amino acid. If you were to eat enough of that specific plant, you would fulfill your protein needs without question. And that's possible with literally every single plant. How does a cow get like big to the point that we could eat a steak off of eating grass. Mm. And the answer is it eats enough grass. 
<laughs> That's such a right? good point. Yeah. So is it, are we misinformed that we need to eat at least our body weight in grams of protein? So if you're a hundred pounds, you need to eat a hundred grams of protein. That's misinformation. So I, I will make, um, not to get too nerdy here, but I tend to make the conversion to kilograms because that's where most of the research exists with protein. So you just have to take your body weight, whatever it is, and divide it by 2.2. All right. And then you can apply the formula that I'm about to give you. So um, basically there's the minimum recommended amount of protein per person, which is 0 0.8 grams per kilogram, 0 0.8. So what that means is that like, if you are a pretty large 70 kilogram person, you only need about 55 grams of protein per day. Mm. That's the minimal recommended amount. Now we move the goal, the protein goal based upon your level of physical activity. Are you like moderately act active? Are you a get salty retreat person and super active. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and if you are moderately active, then you probably need one gram of protein per kilogram. And if you are a get salty retreat, like pretty, pretty darn active person, like you're lifting, then you probably need about 1.2 grams per kilogram. If you are a professional bodybuilder, there is no evidence that you need any more than 1.5 grams of protein per kilogram of body weight per day. Interesting. 1.5. Wow. So now most people are getting way more than that already. Most people are already getting more than that. The other thing to, get, to bear in mind, Warren, just to come back to plants and protein, is that we have to um, standardize the protein, not by what does a serving provide, right? Like what does a serving of steak provide? Okay, that's a lot of protein. Cool. But what if we looked at it per calorie? Because at the end of the day, you're going to eat a certain number of calories and you're going to do that on a consistent basis. Can a plant-based diet, if you're going to eat, let's just call it, let's keep it around. If you're going to eat 2000 calories in a day, like you're probably less than that, but I'm probably more than that. If you're going to eat 2000 calories per day, does 2000 calories of exclusively plants fulfill your protein needs almost regardless of what plants you're choosing? The answer is a resounding without a doubt. Yes you will wow. get the protein that you need and you don't need to worry like, am I getting the right protein? Do I need to be picky about my protein? The answer is no, you don't. You just need to eat variety, which is what I'm here to talk about. Mm. Um, I personally am a big guy. So you saw me at the retreat. I'm six foot four. I weigh 205 pounds. I'm a Polish Viking. <laughs> I wish we would have taken a picture because I'm five feet and we're just like at the different yeah, ends of exactly. the spectrum. <laughs> right. So I'm this big guy and I am in my forties and I'm in the best shape of my life. And I've never been lifting as much as I lift right now in terms of weight. Like even back when I was in my thirties working out six days a week, I couldn't lift what I can lift right now. And I am not taking a protein powder supplement. And I am not worried about whether or not I hit my protein needs in my diet. I just quite simply eat plants in variety, period. And it's working for me. Now, are there people like, is there going to be someone out there who's going to say for their personal context, oh, Dr. B is wrong. That always happens to me. <laughs> so there's always examples that we can come out. But the, what I'm trying to do is help people to understand 
that you don't need to worry or fear that eating a plant-based diet is going to make you a protein deficient person. Instead, you just quite simply need to eat a variety of plants and whatever your dietary composition is, whether it's 100% plants or it's 70% plants, this is kind of the range that I want people ultimately to fall into. No matter where your dietary composition falls in that spectrum, you will be getting enough protein from my perspective, unless you are a professional athlete, in which case you might need a protein supplement. Mm. So interesting. I feel like most of my listeners that do, you know, tune in, it, they're in, uh, they exercise. And I feel like protein is constantly drilled. Even in my case, I'm like, you know, maybe I need to eat more. And I, I, I don't, I don't like eating foods that are rich in protein. I don't feel great after them. Um, other than like plants, um, but the animal products, I just feel, you know, tired and just not my best. So I think that relieves a lot of stress for people that are looking to gain muscle and, you know, work out. Um, because I feel like, you know, there is a lot of misinformation out there. Okay. So you have a new book coming out. Where can listeners find it? Where can they find you on all the, the social medias, all that fun stuff? All right. So uh, my new book is called The Fiber Fields Cookbook. I mentioned it a little bit earlier. It's not exclusively a cookbook, but it kind of is too, um, which I know sounds very confusing, but it's 125 plant-based recipes it's full color photography, absolutely gorgeous. People are going to like be blown away by, by the food. But I kind of see it as a recipe-based choose your own adventure for gut health. You know, my thing is that I wrote Fiber Fueled and my mission, my goal with Fiber Fueled was to get people excited and motivated. And I feel that I accomplished that. But then people started showing up both in my clinic and on social media saying, Dr. B, like, I want to eat the way that you're describing, but I don't feel well. And it became clear to me that I needed to address these people, address that issue. So the Fiber Fields Cookbook has the entire methodology, how to heal your gut step-by-step, step, how to overcome food intolerances. There are two recipe-based um, protocols that you can follow for food intolerances. I also teach you how to sprout, how to ferment, how to make sourdough, basically like everything that I think that you need to have a healthy gut, whether you are good right now, you want to stay good. That's why you need this book. Mm. And if you're not where you want to be in terms of gut health, I can help you get there. And it is possible. And that's what this book is about. So you can find the book at all the major booksellers online, you know, the usual places, Amazon, whatnot. Um, but my thing is this, we've, we're coming out of this pandemic and these local bookshops, these are your neighbors. And I hope that they're open. I think that there's been, unfortunately, some that have been affected, but let's come out of the pandemic. And if we're going to hand someone these dollars, let's hand them to our neighbor so that they can have them. So here in Charleston, by the way, there's a, a bookshop downtown called Blue Bicycle. And for those who are interested, um, barring, you, <laughs> barring that you are listening to this like in 2024, <laughs> um, for those who are interested, you can get a signed copy of my book. And there's no added charge. It's the same price as the book would be under normal circumstances. But I'm basically pairing with this local bookshop because I know that I have a lot of the supporters here locally in Charleston. And I want people to feel like they're a part of this movement because ultimately they are. This is what it's about. 
Mm, I love that. So your book is out? My book is out May 17th. So it all depends on when you're dropping this morning. Um, we can talk about that offline, but my book is out May 17th. And um, you can also, by the way, follow me on theplantfedgut.com is my website, theplantfedgut.com. I got a great newsletter, email newsletter. People really seem to love it. Uh, I do like breakdowns of new studies when they come out. Uh, and you can follow me on social media. I mentioned it earlier. It's the Gut Health MD on both Instagram and Facebook. Awesome. And I'll leave all that uh, information in the show notes. My goal is to post this episode next week. So would it be beneficial if I do a giveaway and give a fiber fueled book away? I mean, sure. I'll take it. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that's what we're going to do too. And we'll make sure we get your, your book. It's called your book that is coming out May 17th. Give me the title again. It's the fiber fields cookbook. So the first book oh, is easy. fiber fueled. Um, and then the new book is the fiber fields cookbook. Again, it's, it's brand new recipes and, um, and then it's the entire methodology for how to optimize and heal your gut. Awesome. Amazing. So we'll get that too. But if you are listening April, 2022, when this episode comes out, make sure to take a screenshot of this episode, uh, tag Dr. B and myself that the Instagram handles are in the show notes. And I will give, um, a fiber fueled book away to one lucky winner. Thank you so much for giving your time to us and just giving us all of the important, um, aspects that we need to know about plants and fiber and all the interesting things that we didn't know we needed to hear today. <laughs> love it. Thanks for having me. It was fun. Yes, of course. You guys remember if you love this episode, please leave a review, screenshot it, enter in that giveaway. And remember you got this. Thank you so much for tuning in today. If you love this episode, make sure you are subscribed so you know when more episodes come available. My goal is to inspire others to become their vision, and one way to get the word out is with reviews. I would really appreciate it if you left an honest review on iTunes, and it would mean so much to me. Thanks again, and remember to go after the life you want. Bye, guys. Bye.